Welcome back to Blamo. My guest this week is technology investor and serial entrepreneur Kevin Rose. Kevin and I spoke about his career building Dig.com, working for Google Ventures, and his time as CEO of Hadinki. Last but not least, Kevin shared his thoughts on the future of technology, body hacking, and what it means to make the most of your time in a busy world. Let's do it. Anyway, Kevin Rose, you're on. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yeah. So you're, I mean, I've, a lot of the people that I've had on, I've had on, I've always been very lucky to get them on, but you're kind of like a personal hero of mine. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but yeah, I, I, before we started, I was kind of telling you some of the stuff that we were talking about. And when you, you had founded uh, this website called Dig, and we'll, we'll get into all this stuff, but you were like one of the very first podcasters ever. It was crazy. We we got into that even before Apple had a um a store for it. So they didn't have a way to really discover podcasts. Yeah. Um but yeah, it was fun. I mean, we just wanted to go out and sit down and have a couple drinks and talk about our favorite tech stories and that turned into kind of a, its own little thing. Yeah. And so I want to get a little bit in your background and so you grew up in kind of California and Las Vegas, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And you got your kind of your start more as a TV show host, right? Like how, how so like G4, which was this video game network or gaming network show. Is it still around? Uh, G4. Yeah, I believe so. I don't know that it's all video games anymore, though. I think they've kind of turned it into more of a spice channel or whatever the, that was called. The more men's network or something. I don't yeah. know. Um, I don't watch TV, so I don't, I don't <laughs> no, know. It's fine. Um, how can, can I ask like how you got into that? In yeah. Terms of- yeah, for sure. So, you know, I, um, I, I started off being a, a standard geek and really into computers and um, really studying and, and learning about networking and working at the Nevada test site. Um, this is at UNLV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I ended up in Las Vegas because my dad was an accountant and there was a lot of work out there for accountants. Um, so as a kid, I just grew up there. Um, I thought it was very normal to have like, slot machines in grocery stores. <laughs> it was like, so it was a, it was a big deal to get to, I was actually born in California, but to get back out to California and the Bay area, um, I knew I always wanted to be in San Francisco just because of all the tech that was going on. Right. So I was, I was a really a geeky kid and studied, um, computer science. And so, um, my friend who I had met out in the Bay area said, Hey, there's this job at tech TV. Do you want to apply for it? And it was a, a standard kind of production assistant job, which is the lowest on the, the totem pole. Yeah. And, um, but I thought, you know, I can get out there, get a job. I can do what I love doing, which is setting up kind of tech stuff. And so it was my responsibility to come on the show. And before we went live every day, I would set up all of the demos. So there'd be demos about, you know, installing and setting up Linux distributions or going and, um, you know, setting up LAN parties or whatever it may be, showing off the latest video cards or you name it. It was my job to kind of do all the dirty, heavy lifting there. Right. Um, so that's how I got started. And that was all behind the scenes. And then eventually I, um, they, they had me come on and contribute to a couple segments um, just as kind of like an on-air guest. Yeah. And that then eventually turned into me hosting one of the, the TV shows. Which was awesome. So it was, oh, thank you. I think it was, you were on Screensavers, That's right? right, yeah. Yeah, which, so that to me, I remember watching that stuff because this, you guys were also some of the first people that were doing your video segments and things like that online. Um, and 
you know, this is pre pre streaming services, yeah. YouTube, Hulu, all that. And so it was really like earth shattering for me to get to watch some of this stuff. And I'm you have a incredibly long resume and list of accomplishments here. And so for the sake of time, we'll skip over some of this stuff. But you uh one of the biggest things that you did was you founded this website called Dig, mm-hmm. which was like pre Reddit. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Um, can you talk me just like a little bit in terms of like how that happened? Because next thing you know, I mean, I was using Dig like crazy. And uh, well, I'll just let you explain. Sorry. No, no. Yeah. I, I think that um, so this is a, a natural kind of uh, transition from TV to starting a company. So I right. was I was hosting that TV show and, um, you know, I really enjoyed it because it would give me a chance to to really sit down and um, help the audience out. So we come up with these really great topics, um, really geeky stuff. But when the company was sold to G4 and moved to Los Angeles, um, they very much wanted the content to get out of the realm of geekiness and more into kind of just generic television. Right. That is kind of dumbed down for the masses, but gets higher ratings. Sure. And so I didn't really want to produce that type of TV. Like I loved showing people how to install Linux on, on television. <laughs> it probably didn't get the ratings that they, Low times, they wanted. You're sitting there like, okay, um, uh, we'll, we'll, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Let's come back after a 40 minute break. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but it was, it was one of those things where when I was down in Los Angeles, I was like, oh gosh, I gotta, I want to go start my own little thing, like a, a company. Like, and I had experimented with a couple of different shareware apps that I had developed and launched and made some money on them. Um, <clears throat> they were really just basic little utilities. But uh, I thought, well, gosh, this, this whole, there was, there was a really interesting time where um, the web was starting to get interesting again. And mm-hmm. there was a handful of startups that really started to kind of take off online. So like, you know, we had uh, Stuart Butterfield on from Flickr. So he had created Flickr before he went off to create Slack, which he's known for today. Yeah. But um, we had them on the show. And so we'd have these great guests on. They were doing all the really cool building. And I was like, I want to get out there and build something, you know? Yeah. Um, and I was a big fan of kind of um, social bookmarking. Delicious uh, was a big site. Yes. Um, Joshua Schachter was the one that uh, created that. And so I got to know him and we chatted back and forth. And I was like, well, this is cool, but no one's really done this for news. Like, how can you have a site that is about real-time voting and the best stuff kind of boils to the front of the, the homepage and just do that for, for kind of like all of the breaking news? Because there was so much really um, great content out there and unique and weird content. And, but, but it just wasn't, you know, it wasn't on the homepage of one of the major networks. And so it wasn't getting the exposure that I thought it really deserved. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, got the domain name Dig for like twelve hundred dollars. Um, I the reason I came up with the name is I thought, well, you're kind of like when you're voting on something, you're kind of digging it out of the ground and exposing it to everyone, right? Um, and so, just launched the site, had it developed, um, paid a freelancer to kind of come in and, and write a lot of the code because at that point I hadn't written code in years, and it's a lot easier to find someone that just does it every single day. So um, invested a little bit of money there and launched it a couple months later. So launched in uh, late 2004. Right. And so from there, Dig turns into this kind of juggernaut of news aggregation, um, which, you know, like I'm on Dig all the time. I'm, I'm like trying to see like what are the news stories. And, and this is, again, this is pre-Reddit, which Reddit, you know, has become its own like subculture. Um, but then you guys, I mean, one of the things that strikes me about you is I think maybe some ways we're a little bit similar and that it appears to me that 
when you find something that you like it, mm-hmm. you get into it. Oh, for sure. I mean, when you were into tea, you were all about tea. Oh, and absolutely. coffee and all about like every little thing that like you're like, well, I might as well become an expert at this. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, I love that. <laughs> and it's fascinating to me because of someone who's more or less watched your career over the past decade. I've seen you become these experts from, you know, watches to uh, beverages to, you know, you're working on this meditation app, which we'll talk about. but like. It's really cool and inspiring to me to see someone who is basically not being held down by anything. You're just like, I'm going to go and of course I'll learn it. And even when you were talking about Dig, you were like, well, I'm not an expert on coding, but I can find someone who can do that. Can I ask, like, is there a certain mindset that you have that goes through into which, like, what are, what are you going to use your time on versus what do you realize? Like, well, you know what? My time is going to be better spent on X. And I know it's a little bit philosophical, but I'm just curious. No, it's a great question. I, I think that there's a lot of things that you probably don't see that I give up on because I realize they're just too hard for me. So I do a lot of little tiny experiments to see if it's something that I'm personally really attracted to and right. want to get into. So for example, um, you know, I took a woodworking class here a few couple months ago and then went and made that little table over there. You can see it right there, yeah. little tiny guy. <laughs> and so um <laughs> You know, it was a fun little experiment, but I realized, wow, this is really hard stuff. Carpentry and is Carpentry insane. is very difficult, <laughs> and there's a lot to it. And I, I might get into it, like, full on, like, at some point later in time when I have more time. Yeah. But I just don't right now. And so there's a bunch of little experiments I do like that, and I realize, like, you know, I took a sewing class because I wanted to make my own leather wallets and things like that. I just couldn't find the right wallet that I enjoyed, and so I went to uh, someone that was a uh, was teaching like um, freelancing sewing classes and when I made a wallet with them um, but then I realized like okay this is another thing where I would have to spend a lot of time and effort to really master the craft yeah and then there's other things like tea where I got into tea and got really excited about it and then I realized like this is something I want to dedicate some time to and then you know ended up traveling around the world and studying with tea masters and getting certified as a tea master and all of that and that was something where I just kind of went all in on you got certified as a tea master. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Real quick, what does that entail? Well, there's, there's classes you can take, okay. and then you have to take a test. And so there's, there's three levels. Um, level three is kind of like the highest. Um, it's called the like, STI uh, certification. Is this in the United States? Yeah, it's in the United States. Okay. Yeah, and so um, I became a level two, not, not all the way to a level three. So. Well, hey, we can dream. That's right. <laughs> wow. Um, so to kind of get a little bit back about your your career trajectory, you start this podcast. Um, and I know you had done podcasts before in 2003, but you did this podcast on Dig, uh, which I, I actually got more, like I got into Dig through this podcast. Oh, cool. Dig Nation. And Dig Nation um, is basically, I feel like every men's and every, not just men's, but every like tech and sort of starter TV show network podcast idea, I feel has originated from this which what you were said earlier it's these two guys you're talking about stories on the internet you're talking you know and you're having a few drinks yeah like, people have often called it like the wayne's world of like yeah. of like geek shows oh for sure i mean maybe i guess it was a geek show but i don't know i think you guys talked about stuff that i, I didn't think i was a geek and i was watching this but maybe i am i, I don't know 
I don't, um, I don't say geek in a bad way. Like, yeah. I'm so glad that that's finally like an accepted cool term. I guess you're right. Yeah. Like back in the day, I used to get made fun of when I was playing with computers when I was younger yeah. and things like that. Like that's no longer the case. Like, that, <laughs> yeah. They're the cool kids now, I guess. That's is, true. That's pretty um, awesome. How did Dignation start? Yeah. So, um, you know, Alex and I had done some television together because mm-hmm. he was a host down at, uh, at G4. And then he had moved on, but we were still really close friends. And, you know, we had heard about podcasting in general and that it was a, a kind of like this it, really easy to syndicate content via an RSS feed and just wrapping content around that so people could subscribe, yeah. um, which was great. And uh, Apple was coming out with their... The rumor was they were going to come out with a podcasting section, and we were just like, the timing just felt right. You know, yeah. it felt like the internet was ready for, for video, and um, we wanted to be in the the kind of forefront of this. And so we were like, let's just turn on a camera and sit down and have a couple of beers and see what happens. And so, you know, we started recording that, and you know, ended up doing quite a few episodes. I can't even tell you, like hundred plus episodes. Yeah, um, I mean, you guys did live hundred. tapings. Yeah. I think I went to one in Chicago once. Um, yeah, they were incredible. Yeah, they were crazy. We, we had, it was nuts. There was, I, I can't believe it turned into what it did. It was, it was weird. I remember at South by Southwest was probably the, the, the most crazy. It was, well, actually no, um, in London, we had a crowd of about three or 4,000 people and that was just nuts. South by was another three or 4,000 people. And it was just like, we were doing crowd surfing. I'd never done that before. <laughs> it was kind of crazy, <laughs> but it was, it was fun. It was, it was just like a very unique time. and. um and and now it's just like it's crazy because I I kind of wish we were still around in some way. We decided to hang it out because we felt like we had covered every single topic imaginable, and we yeah. just didn't really have a whole lot to talk about still. But um, today it's just like I feel like podcasting is is seen this massive resurgence here in the last like year year and a half. Yeah, it's been it's been I think ever since Apple made it a default icon on uh, I don't know if you remember when that happened, but they started shipping it with iPhones, the podcasting oh my uh, God, app. You're right. Yeah. And then, you know, you can imagine just like how many people were like, what is this? And then tapped on it because the, the view counts have just gone through the roof. Like back in the day when we'd get 258,000 views an episode, that was considered to be just massive. And now that's, you know, like a drop in the bucket compared to some of these, these huge shows out there. Yeah. I mean, you have like Tim Ferriss, which you also, you, host a show with tim ferris yeah we do the random show yeah i just finished listening to the the japan episode oh, that was a little, <laughs> that was a little sake induced like yeah. craziness it was good um but yeah and i also think like thanks to you know serial and yeah gimlet media right. and all of these companies that are basically bringing back sitting around listening to radio i mean my wife and i were uh s town have, have you listened to s town no. yet it's pretty good. Yeah. S-Town's pretty good. Um, but S-Town is from the people who did This American Life at Serial. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm used to sitting next to my wife and watching TV or something together. But yeah. we were sitting and listening to a podcast. That's so cool. And I was like, I love that. whoa, <laughs> this is crazy. Um, so you, you do Dignation. And Dignation also becomes, you know, this part in which you're, you guys are breaking news. because. I remember listening to it and you would talk about new Apple stuff because you had some type of, I don't know, some type of insider info. You don't have to reveal your sources. It's okay. But you were like, I think this is what's going to happen for this new Apple. And um, that 
like to me, you guys are scooping Engadget. You're scooping all of these new uh, tech sites. And this is pre The Verge, pre all this stuff. And it was really interesting to see this stuff form. But then you leave Dig. Um, and this is where your career for me, like I, I couldn't even follow anymore. Like I was taking notes on, you know, before we were talking, because I was like, man, he's done so much. We have so little time. Oh my God. That's <laughs> and this is where you bounce around in the best possible way. And you become, you know, yes, you are an entrepreneur, but you are this investor, this angel investor, this, this advisor, um, you know, and your portfolio turns into Twitter, Uber, um, you know, all of these companies. Like, what made you decide to do that? Like, how did that even happen? Yeah, I think, I think it started off because at the time of the dig was really taking off in the, the height of, you know, quote unquote, web 2.0 there was, um, we all kind of knew each other. So all the different founders, we were right. all more or less friendly with each other. And we, you know, I just got very lucky in that uh, I had some other friends' companies like like the Twitters of the world and others that I was able to say, hey, I would like to put some money into your startup. Sure. And so, um, you know, very little, very small amounts of money, at least initially until I had some returns. Yeah. Um, but just kind of rolling the dice and investing in in a few little startups that I thought were going to work out, and and thankfully a, a handful of them did. Um, and then I started doing more and more investing. Um, I had a little tiny app incubator that I sold to Google, and then I became a partner over at Google Ventures right. for, for three years, where we we did some kind of crazy investing. That's, and yeah, and Google Ventures was Google's venture capital fund. Correct? That's right. Yeah. And so from there, yeah, I guess obviously you're not doing this personal investment. You're investing with the, the bank accounts of Google. Like, was there any sort of thing that changes now that you're able to make these larger investments? Or, or you know, were you still going by kind of gut reactions of what you liked and what you didn't like? Well, it, it really comes down to the stage of the investment. I think that when you're sitting there and talking about a early stage back of the napkin idea, the bet is more or less on the, like a 50-50 on the entrepreneur and the person that's going to be running the business and then also the idea as well. But mm-hmm. you really don't have any data at that point. Um, one of the things that we were very fortunate to have at, at Google Ventures was, was a, a handful of analysts that would come in and really help us do our um, deep due diligence on these, these companies in the kind of later stage. Right. So, you know, if you have an Uber coming in to raise their Series C, you have a lot of data um, and you can go in and, and really use that data to inform your, your investing decisions and decide from there. So, and, and you're writing much larger checks. So, you know, when, in, as an angel, you typically write anywhere from a twenty-five dollars to $50,000 check. Um, as venture capitalists, it can be in the, you know, tens of millions or, or hundreds of millions like we we wrote a two hundred and I believe it was two hundred fifty four million dollar check into Uber, which was crazy. Right. So we had three hundred million dollars every single year to go out and deploy, and that reset every January first. So it was kind of like find cool startups and invest in them. There was a race and a hunt to go and try and find the next big project to put uh, some dollars behind. Right. And I mean, there was a few other companies that you invested at the time. Um. Because you had, before you got into Google, what was the company you had started beforehand? It was Milk. Milk. Yeah. And that was the app incubator. Mm-hmm. 
But it feels like that bug never really went away because then while you're at Google, did North Technologies evolve from Milk? Yeah, um, more or less. I mean, it was it was kind of like the same idea of let's yeah. go out and try a handful of things. Right. Um, I've always liked, especially I would say over the last, um, you know, seven, eight, nine years now, I've always liked to have my hands like 50-50, half in the investing world and the other half really going out and just trying out new ideas and building fun little projects. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's kind of been my focus for the last few months is let's go out and just build some stuff that we believe to be, just make the world a better place. Not necessarily, they don't have to be businesses. They can just be fun apps that we want to see exist. And so, you know, we did an app around fasting. We're doing an app around meditation. And uh, again, these aren't, I'm not trying to go out and get venture funding for them. Yeah. It's, it's more like, um, you know, we, we have a, a personal itch that we want to kind of scratch and let's, let's go off and just build um, some high quality apps. Right. And so a little bit earlier, when you're, when you're doing North Technologies, you also start Watchville. Mm-hmm. And so Watchville I used, um, and this is pre, you know, the Hodinkee merger. Yeah, this is a great example of just like a fun little app that we just wanted to build just for the heck of it. Right, yeah, because it, there wasn't, I don't remember there were ads or anything on it at no. all. It was just an exactly. aggregator of the best watch stuff. Yeah, I mean, I when my father passed away, he left me with a Rolex that um, he, we only had one. We weren't a real wealthy family, but it was he was very proud of that watch and wore it every single day for, gosh, probably twenty plus years, you know. Yeah, and so I had that one watch, and I, you know, I wear it out every once in a while on a special occasion, and then I kind of thought, oh, these watches are cool, and I started reading Hodinkee and other sites. Um, and then I realized how geeky, like anything else, like we were talking about earlier, yeah. this stuff can get, and you know, these people geek out on the movements and are the hands correct or not on this vintage watch? And, you know, it's, it just gets really in depth. And so I kind of fell in love with that geekiness. Um, and I was like, Oh, you know, we should just build an aggregator for the best watch news out there. Let's just, let's do it. And, um, it took us just a couple of weeks and cranked it out. And then it instantly became like the hottest watch app on the app store, which was nuts. Yeah. You know, hundreds of thousands of downloads of hardcore watch enthusiasts. And it's been crazy. Yeah. It was great because I would launch it because. Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I used an RSS reader, rest in peace, Google Reader, but I had this reader and I would subscribe to a bunch of different watch sites. But there was also not really many other watch sites at the time, at least that I knew about. But then when I opened up um, Watchville, I'm like, oh, there's this site and this site and this site. And so I'm like flipping and reading all this stuff through Watchville. And then Ben Clymer, who's a mutual friend of ours, um, is he's very he's got a good poker face and so we're hanging out and i'm telling him about watchville and you know little do i know he knows all about this stuff (laughs) and a few you know it felt to me like a few months later then you guys merged and then i'm reading about this in the times and i'm like texting ben like what the heck this is incredible can like how did that start yeah, well, I mean, clearly Ben has uh, built the absolute best resource for high-quality independent watch editorial in Hodinkee. I agree. And he's done that yeah. for so many years. I yeah. mean, the company's been around, like, coming up on seven years now, I guess. And, you know, I was always just a huge fan of his content. He had the best content out there and just a really unique take. And so we got together and, you know, I kind of showed him what I was doing. And he promoted Watchville initially, and it really took off. and. Um, I bought some ads on his site and things like that. Um, and then I just started looking at, at the, this a little bit more seriously once I saw how many people were downloading Watchville. It was clear that this was an, like an underserved market. 
mm-hmm. and one that um, the average consumer, I mean, just the, the demographic is a very attractive one to both advertisers and watch brands and other luxury kind of brands in general. And it just, um, once I, I started looking into the market and, and seeing that, you know, new watch sales um, per year on the double digit billions of dollars, it's just insane. Um, it was, it was clear that there was, could be a real business here and it wasn't just a fun little app. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I just couldn't be some fancy newsreader. If we were really going to do this, I'd have to team up with someone that really understood independent editorial. Um, and what better brand than Hodinkee? So, you know, I got together with Ben and I said, listen, you have nailed the editorial component. Like, let me help you on the tech side. Um, because, you know, he hadn't built any any apps or anything like that. He didn't have an app in the app store. Um, the e-commerce site was, was okay. Yeah. It, I mean, it was just him and two people. Yeah. I mean, he was doing amazing for the resources that he had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but when you take control of that full stack, so we like brought all the development in house, we decided to build our own iPad app. We decided to build, you know, the, the Android side on Watchville and, um, you know, integrate Apple pay and re, you know, so it's all the stuff you can do when you raise a little bit of money. Sure. And so we went off and um, I was able to tap into some of my um, VC resources and we raised some cash and combined the companies. And um, <clears throat> it was, it's been awesome. I mean, we, we've grown the team now uh, from, like you said, those three people to now, I guess, 22 people. Yeah. Um, the company's profitable. Um, Which is huge because at the time, you know, it, I know that Ben was, but it was, it was, it had to be run very lean right. to be profitable. And now, you know, yeah, like you said, huge team making money. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah, it's a, it's a great little business. And I think that we've been able to, um, but, but I will say the one thing that was important to Ben um, and also to myself was that we, we really, because um, he, he built something really special. And so yeah. we didn't want to come in. And it felt very honest. Felt very honest, yeah. So yeah. we didn't want to come in and just like sell out to make money because there's a thousand different ways you can monetize. You know, a million people a month that are into watches. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we sat down, we thought, okay, what are the ways that we can create? You know, certain types of collaborations and other things that um, our audience will love and and really expand the editorial team. So we took the team. Now we there's like five full time writers, um, four or five, five I think five full time writers. Um, it was just Ben and a couple of freelancers. You know? yeah. So uh, we wanted to do it the right way. And, and it, I'm just thankful that it, it's, it's worked out. Right. And one of the stuff that you were doing there is you become CEO of, of, uh, of Hodinkee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think this was interesting because, you know, Ben is incredibly smart, has, is a, has a very great voice, great writer, knows how to write, by being almost like a best best friend brother oh, yeah. advice columnist. Oh, for sure. That's what I loved about the society. It's yeah. like an older brother that can teach you about watches. It's great. <laughs> yeah. But now Hodinkee has this brand that exists across actual physical products, a watch store. Um, you know, there's a design language, there's all these things like you kind of not that he wasn't professional at all, like, but then you be you turn this into the this legit company. Was there certain things that you were that you would learn from previous roles or things like that that you had been a part of that were you were bringing into Hadinki? I mean, I know you said you brought the VC stuff into it, but you know, because you strike me as 
you know, earlier is like you were knowing when to let go of certain stuff. I mean, were there any examples of things like that in terms of like building Hodinkee? Yeah, I mean, Hodinkee was um, the a classic example of kind of a, a great business with a lot of potential, but severely underfunded. Right. And so, you know, just coming in and and controlling our own destiny, I think, was a big piece of it. Because the entire back end was built out by a third party that, that kind of did his blogging software. Yep. So we just brought that in-house, rewrote a bunch of problems that we were having with it. It load page load times. It wasn't getting indexed properly in Google. Just, I would say like the entire tech side was really my focus, you know? So I would sit down with Ben and say, okay, we need, we need a couple more writers. Like we, we and Ben would go out and find the right people and mm-hmm. we'd interview them and, and hire them. Um, but, but I would say 90% of my job was just really building out the tech side, ensuring that we had a the best in breed kind of mobile app, um, and implementing a lot of the, the modern day tools to communicate in real time. You know, we set up all of our, our Slack and our base camp tools and, just all the stuff that um, I would say that the tech industry does fairly well, pretty well. Yeah. Um, and then just really expanding a, a lot of our SKUs and making sure we were, were designing and, and bringing the right products to sell. Um, you know, we went from just straps to a whole wide range of different things and collaborations with Mont Blanc and a bunch of different kind of crazy sure. things over the years. So. Um, just really pushing on that as well and making sure, you know, Ben really could have done all this on his own, but he just needed a partner. And so I, I really saw it as my role to just come in and help him execute faster. Cause he had, you know, I would say 90% of this vision, he knew that he wanted a great mobile app and all these different things. Yeah, yeah. And so it was my job to just come in and, and really accelerate these things um, just because I had done it so many times before. Yeah, and this is where I got to meet you for the first time because I remember when this was happening and I was like, what, this is like Kevin Rose? Like, that's, that guy's a tech guy. Like, this is, this is crazy. And I came to the office once and met you and uh, you at the time, I was following along with your kind of cryo... Oh, my freezing stuff. Your, yeah. And the, was it Wim Hof? Yeah, Wim Hof method. The Wim yeah. Hof method. And th- this is like, you know, you in a nutshell to me is like, you're working on something, but, you know, you were also, you had started the journal, mm-hmm. which is your, your email newsletter. You were redoing this, uh, you were doing the journal podcast, and then you're doing the Wim Hof method. I which, think you're exposing my ADD right now is what you're telling everybody. No, 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 no. No, I, just, I, do, I do have that, which is fine. I think it was, it was just fascinating to me that you're able to do multiple things at a time. But, you know, I mean, were you involved in every single Hodinkee editorial meeting? I imagine no. probably not. Yeah, no, because ben, you knew, ben ran all of that. Yeah. yeah, because you knew what to be a part of and what not to. I mean, it's so important to be able to hire the right people. Right. That is, that is 99.9% of everything that you have to do is ensuring that you get people that you can fully trust. Yeah. You have to let them like make the decisions. Like For me, it's, it's, um, I had a mentor of mine tell me one time that you hire the right people and it's about empowering them to do great work, you know, and really just removing any of the roadblocks that you possibly can. So the, the decision is let's discuss what we want to do together. And then at the end of the day, you decide. And when they can make that own, their own mind up and make their, and, and really decide on their own, 
they own it even more. They yeah. get that nice little 20 to 30% like little boost in productivity and excitement because they're making the, the call. Exactly, right. And, um, you know, that's the only way you can run these things. So when, when I have, you know, like a, a great engineering team, um, you know, Adam Kopak, who's our designer on Hodinkee, 98% of the time, I would just like, you know, we get together, he'd show me what he's working on. I, I'd kind of like give him my two cents. Um, I would say most of the time, uh, we would just kind of hash out a couple things. He was right. And every once in a while, he'd be like, oh, that's an interesting take. And then we create something even better together. So, you know, it's, it's just hiring the best people, man. I learned that at Google. That's so important. It's so important. Like the thing that, that Google is, is really good at is they spend so much time on their hiring process um, and, and really making that a pretty substantial hurdle to get over to, to just get in the door of Google. Right. That once you're in the door, they on day one fully trust you. Like they will give you any project. It doesn't matter how big it is. Huh. It could be, it, it could be, you know, changing the design that affects millions of people. It doesn't matter if it's your first day or not. They fully trust you like that you're, you're in. Yeah. And that's such an empowering thing. There's a great book, um, wrote by Laszlo Bach, who is, um, he used to run, uh, uh, all of, um, all of HR and kind of, uh, was responsible for uh, a lot of the processes of, of finding new recruits and hiring people at Google, uh, it's called Work Rules. Okay. And it's his new book. And he I'll talks put it in the about, show notes. Yeah, he talks about all of this entire process and how to find the best people for your company and how to, to really empower them and trust them. I think it's a great book. Yeah, I mean, and the reason why I was bringing up to the fact that you were doing so many things at a time is I think the Achilles heel of most um, entrepreneurs is knowing when to let go of certain stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my wife works at Etsy and she's seen you know, when she was there, Rob Kalin was the main guy and he was kind of uh, politely forced out and, and other things like that. But there would be these entrepreneurs that would come in and, you know, you're so in love with the idea that you're almost blinded by the ability to, uh, to let go of certain things where other people were an expert on. And I think that's, that's more of what I was honing in on that mm-hmm. you had this ability to do, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I think, Sadly, there are companies right now, and I'm not naming names or anything, but that are having that exact issue of which you have this smart, genius CEO, you know, entrepreneur, founder, but, is, but won't let go of certain things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, that is really, really beautiful and a great example of how people can grow and function as businessmen and women. So yeah, it's really, really cool to me. So I'm, I'm glad that you were able to, to shed some light on that. The Wim Hof method. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, when I met you, I was like, what the hell is this guy doing freezing himself? And you were going on fasts and cleanses. And you documented oh, a lot of this. Five day fast in a couple of days from now. Yeah, you, you were documenting this on, your, uh, on the journal, which is your newsletter and, and blog. And uh, I'll make sure we, we talk about this more later. But what inspired that? I mean, because it, it's pretty intense, no? No, it is. Yeah, certainly there's, um, well, there's a few things. Uh, there, a friend of mine, um, a scientist, Dr. Rhonda Patrick, put out a paper, a couple different papers, where one on, on heat exposure, one on cold exposure. And they talk about some of the really beneficial effects that come out of, of doing these kind of crazy, whether it's a really intense, you know, 20, 30 minute sauna session every day for five days or... Mm-hmm. 
it's these extremely cold kind of like ice plunges or whatever you want to do. Um, and she, she links to a lot of the articles on where it can, it's shown to give people like a mood boost and give them more energy. And I had read that a bunch of people were getting into it. So, you know, uh, my buddy Tim Ferriss had done some experiments in it. Um, Tony Robbins talks about how he does it every single morning, um, his cold baths. And I saw the Wim Hof um, method, which is a 10-week course on kind of how to get into this. Um, so he walks you through like, you know, week one is like, you know, ending a shower with 15 minutes of cold water. Very oh, simple, God. right? Week two is up to 30 seconds. Week three is 30 seconds to start. Hot water as long as you want, 30 seconds to finish in cold. You know, so it's this gradual process along with some breathing exercises um, that really produce these profound changes in the brain and mood and everything else. And so I thought, you know, why not try it? Like I love trying stuff like that. Little body <laughs> hacks and things like that I've always right. been, a, been a fan of. So I went and I tried it and I was blown away. By the second week, I was blown away. I'm telling you, I, just a level of kind of like mental clarity and happiness. And, and I've always been a pretty happy guy. Like anyone, we all ride our little mini roller coaster of ups and downs, depending on what's going on in our lives, right? Yeah. But this kind of took it and in, in, in raised, raised the bar a little bit. I didn't even know it could go that high. I was just like, it was really strange. Um, but it was... It was real enough to where I was like, okay, I'm going to do this whole full-on course of whims. And by the end of it, I was able to um, take a bathtub, fill it with cold water, and, oh, then, and then pour in, uh, I think, around 10 bags of ice and oh, just God. sit up to my neck in cold in ice water and not even shiver. And I was there for like 15 minutes, like no problems at all. And you feel amazing when you get out. You got to do it. You got to, I can tell you I'm, need it. No, I, I definitely want to do it. If you're saying, oh God, and you're like getting a little <laughs> bit nervous like that, that means you're the perfect candidate. No, I'm, because it, I'm down it will, to do it. It's so hardcore when you, when you, the one thing you have to do is you have to make sure the water gets cold enough. Okay. So you have to go buy, go into um, Amazon. They have little thermometers or a digital um, like laser thermometer and you test your water. I actually here at my apartment, I had to go and remove, they have this little governor on the, dial that won't let it turn far enough to the left to get cold enough <laughs> and i had to take it apart and remove that my i'm sure the the, the landlord here is not gonna be pleased you're but like uh hacking your i had to i my my wife's like what are you doing i'm in there with a screwdriver taking the whole thing apart because i needed to get colder and um yeah it's just ah, oh, it's amazing it feels so so good so was there a diet involved in this too yeah this was just straight up uh cold okay and then because so the one of the things I wanted to ask you about this is so I have I have kidney disease um like in June or whatever I uh which is weird like if you get kidney disease usually you're 65 morbidly obese diabetic and I'm not um I got these kidney stones and then I was like oh what's going on and I was like man my my health my whole body's out of whack and so like right now I'm in this very experimental experimental stays phase excuse me of what to kind of do to alter my body. Because the other thing you were saying when I first talked to you about this is how you were waking up. You were saying like you, don't, yeah. you didn't even need an alarm anymore. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, has this evolved further? Well, I, I would say that the one thing that I've used to, to kind of reset myself um, outside of cold has just been fasting in general. Fasting has been a big, big part of my kind of monthly regimen. So fasting, you mean not eating? That's right. All? What, what do you, what do you do? Like, yeah. So basically, um, 
Well, again, before I take on any of this stuff, I really like to make sure there's there's real data here. So I don't want yeah. this to be a Dr. Oz kind of situation where it's just some <laughs> random doctor. I, I want scientists to be backing it up with like peer-reviewed journals, you know? Sure. So um, there are three videos that, again, uh, Dr. Rhonda Patrick has put out um, that you should watch on time-restricted eating. And uh, Dr. Longo talks about uh, fasting. Um, but a, a, a buddy of mine um, actually came down with cancer. And um, Dr. Longo uh, was the first one to really pioneer doing fasting prior to chemotherapy, two days prior, mm-hmm. and then two days after. And what it does is it really kind of um, creates this autophagy where you have like these cells kind of uh, dying off, the weaker cells um, dying off, then the potentially precancerous cells dying off. Um, This is the the thinking anyway. And it turns out that the outcomes are just so much better um, when you do this this regimen um, prior to chemotherapy. And they're talking about people doing it kind of quarterly just as a reset and they've done some experiments in this and it's improved um, a bunch of different inflammation markers and uh, insulin sensitivity. Um, and this has all been published, published science right. um, just for people that do a five day, what's called a, a mimicking fast. And so it's a severely um, kind of caloric restricted diet. So like 500 or less calories per day. Oh, wow. And um so it's just like little broths and things like that. You do it for five days in a row. Um, so you're not like full on to straight water fast. You can yeah. do that and you get the same effects, but they figured out, uh, the scientist, um, Dr. Longo is the one that figured out you don't need to go all the way to straight water fast. You can have a little bit of calories and it makes it a lot more manageable for people Sure, um, and get the same results. So anyway, I would watch those videos with those interviews with those scientists and then talk to your doctor because it's important that you do, um, because different medications and things like that can complicate things. So it's important to make sure that you're healthy enough to fast. And then once you figure that out, um, try it. And, and I would go, I I would, I'm part of, um, uh, Dr. Peter Atia, who I, I really love, who's been on, um, Tim Ferriss's podcast a bunch of times. He's actually, um, kind of my longevity doc. And so we do crazy stuff where, you know, I get my blood drawn a bunch of times a month and yeah, you know, Ben was telling me about this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you do it, do it like pre fast and post fast and we compare and contrast and, and try different compounds out. And, you know, like he's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a fun world. It's a slippery slope. It's fun to experiment. I, I, I like the idea of, of self experimenting as long as it's, um, measured and 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 thoughtful in the sense of like you're not doing something that's going to damage your body yeah um so i'm not trying out like really crazy compounds and stuff there's some interesting stuff on the horizon that i'm not ready to try um but uh yeah so i i just i i really have enjoyed the fasting and, it, and it's helped me in a bunch of ways and it's a good reset I, i'm doing it quarterly so once a quarter i do a five-day fast and then i do intermittent fasting um, that's why I created the app. I have an app called Zero, Z-E-R-O. It's just a free app and it helps you track your fasts. And so I'll do like a 16-hour fast um, a few times a week kind of thing. Right. And because you were documenting a lot of this on, uh, I think, on your Medium, your your like Tumblr Medium thing and yeah. uh, on the journal. Yeah. And so <laughs> that, that, I mean, that to me is incredibly fascinating about the the diet and the exercise and this stuff, because this is where, you know, we have a little bit of time left that I kind of wanted to go over. A lot of this is like the Kevin Rose guide to life that that I'm like drawing on the theme here. Uh, What do you think of biohacking? 
from what I've seen, it it depends on what you're talking about in terms of like yeah, I've seen everything from people doing um really crazy like have you heard of like microbiome hacking where you use like other people's excrement to like reset your own? Have you heard oh, about that stuff? No. Oh, yeah. All I was I mean this was like people that were putting RFID chips in their oh, arms. Oh, that's and that's like that. Yeah, that's stuff I'm not into. Yeah, I, I'm more into the like the real kind of crazy, crazier stuff like the microbiome hacking and all that kind of. Crazy. What, what, I haven't done that, but that's, no, no, no. I'm not assuming that you had. I, I just know that if you're in this world, and this is like a new thing that more and more people are talking about in the in like the health and science of yeah, like all these weird like transfusions and stuff that are occurring. Yeah, that's just fun to track. Um I, I'm waiting for there to be real hard evidence to before I do anything like that, but it's fun to track. As far as the the chips like implanted and RFID and all that stuff like that, nothing there really excites me yet. Um I have had a continuous glucose monitor injected into my side. Okay. And had um on me for months at a time. And that's kind of cool because um, it's a company called Dexcom. They have an app that ties to your your iPhone and then also pushes notifications to your Apple Watch. So you can just I can literally raise my Apple Watch, look at it, and tell you what my glucose levels are in real time. Oh snap! Um, so that's that's kind of fun if you're into trying to keep your glucose levels and inflammation down, which yeah. is we know now with much certainty that inflammation is linked to a bunch of different types of horrible things, cancers and things like that. So. Um, just, you know, avoiding a lot of over the top refined industrial food is, is a big help there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's kind of a fun thing to, to monitor. Nice. Um, so we're wrapping up. I wanted to get the other few questions I want to ask you about is what are like the, the companies and like products that have really excited you recently? Like one thing that I saw on your YouTube channel was, uh, the June Oven. Uh, June oven, yeah. A buddy of mine created that. Yeah, which is fascinating. My, I, I have some friends that work at Enjoy, and they're getting ready to roll out the the big oven push. Um, you know, is, so is there any sort of product or or app or anything like that that not that you're working on, but that you're really excited about right now? Yeah, you know, there's um, there is a handful of technologies that I I get pretty excited about just because I think they have a lot of potential. Um, and then others that I think are just overhyped. So mm-hmm. I think virtual rea- virtual reality is overhyped right now. Yeah. Um, you know, I've I've played around with a bunch of the different headsets, and it still feels like this is you know ten years out till we have the right mixture of hardware, wireless, and power, and, and how light it has to be. And I think augmented reality is a lot more interesting than virtual reality. Virtual reality is very much like a single player mode. Like if you're sitting around the house and you're looking at someone like just wearing a headset, you're like you can't really interact with them. It's, yeah it's a little awkward. So to think that everyone's going to be doing that in the next few years, I think is a little foolish. Um, but the stuff that excites me um, is some of the geekier stuff, like uh, some of the smart contract stuff that's ha- happening around Ethereum and cryptocurrencies. Um, I love um, reading about and keeping up with all the latest advancements on kind of computer vision and AI and all the stuff that's happening there. Um, i also a big fan of all the um, self-driving car yeah, technologies, and so I, I tend to track what Nvidia is doing there, and what Tesla's doing, and some of the other companies that are kind of like really pushing this stuff. Um, what do you What do you think about the so Elon Musk, whom you've interviewed mm-hmm. on multiple occasions, uh, has contributed money to a fund that's kind of trying to have AI in check, keep AI in check in terms of that. Yeah. Like, do you think that that's possible? And I mean, 
just out of curiosity. Uh, Keeping it in check? Well... In the short term, probably. In the long term, not so much. Yeah. Just because once once the kind of methods for creating this stuff are, are out there, you, I mean, you're going to have... There's going to be some pretty massive discoveries over the next 20 years, right? And, and when those happen, I would imagine uh, they won't be fully disclosed. Um, and then we'll see what happens. We'll see... We'll see if that becomes like more of a open source initiative thing, in which you won't, no one will be able to control them, um, or if it stays kind of within the control of one or two companies that have this type of technology. Yeah, I mean that that's something that I'm a little concerned about. Uh, is you know like all this AI knowing, and the fact that every single company is hiring like data scientists now just mm-hmm. to mess with big data. I mean, we were talking about the Apple Watch and. Uh, I am, so I have a Fitbit and I also have an Apple watch and they, I have to basically use these sync solving apps to try to get my Fitbit data into my Apple health because now, right. Cause they don't support uh health kit. Yeah. Which is fine. I get it. I respect the companies, you know, the, the data is, is what, why people use it. So, but it's interesting cause now I want to organize and have all my health data. I want to be able to, to see a doctor and say, oh, I haven't been, you know, well, three months ago I was sleeping great. And then they can maybe pinpoint, oh, well, you were eating this or you weren't doing this. Or you mm-hmm. were having this diet. And so, like, I'm very into the fact of, of big data. Mm-hmm. But I am slightly concerned about, I don't know, like, when you think of biohacking and things like that. And the fact that every single almost every single thing in my house now has an IP address. Oh yeah. You know, like well, how many of them, like we have right now that I can see, we have three devices that are listening to us right now. You get two iPhones and an Alexa that are right. That are listening to us right now and looking, listening for keywords. <laughs> yeah. So uh, a friend of mine, I, I will probably pick up this keyword is a works in cybercrime in the FBI. And I was asking him, I was like, hey, you know, I have this Bluetooth headset and I, I was like, my iPhone is like, do you think that like, you know, it's like sending data? Because I had just got the Google Home. Mm-hmm. And his response was, well, I think it's safe to assume that anything that has a, a radio transmitter has the ability to be compromised. Yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, that's, that's very, uh, very diplomatic right there. But that's just kind of a little bit of a fear I have. And I was just curious, like, you know, what some of your thoughts were on it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm... I'm like, not asking you to conspiracy theory or anything. No, I'm, I'm like you in that you... Well, I agree with what he said. I mean, you have to believe in today's world that every single device that you own, you just have to go in with the assumption that it's compromised. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm just... Uh, when there's ultra-sensitive data, you just take the extra steps and you select the best providers who you think are going to keep your data safe. Right. You know, so like for me, if I have anything that has financial data tied to it, there's two-factor auth on it. Yep. Um, it's better to do the two-factor auth that um, allows you to look at the number being generated versus the one that sends you a text because your cell phone provider could be get uh, compromised and sure. they could intercept that text and a number. And so it's just like thinking through all the different, uh, like, possible yeah, outlets. And, yeah, Authy's great. Yeah. I use one password which supports that now, which yep. is awesome. Yep. Um, so it's, you know, it is scary, but at the same time, if someone really wants to know, you know, and, and look at whatever my health records, whatever it may be, like, I'm fine with it. Like, I don't have anything to hide, you know? So, yeah. Cause the, the, the contrast to that is if your health records are sort of 
open but anonymized per se, people can learn from it, right? Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it, some of this traces back to how medical tests have been done for eons, right? They right. basically would, you know, give this person this drug or this and take their health records, own those health records, and and then use that to grow or alter the medicine or the experiment that they were doing. And so in one way, you know, because I think Apple was trying to do that, well, set up an ability for people to do that because my father's had Parkinson's for, you know, two de- over two decades. And I know that there's these kind of open source type health apps that Apple was allowing people to do and sign up for and submit to actually do studies to help grow, uh, for them to get more data to help, you know, fight these diseases. Yeah. I'm a big fan of, it it really comes down to the individual. Everyone has to make their own choice, right? Right. You have to figure out what am I willing to give up? Um, and what will I receive in return? You know? And so for me, I am willing to auth in all of my sleep data, all my, you know, if it's, if it's going to tell me to avoid a certain nutrient or do something a little bit different because I gave it access to my 23 and me and everything else, (laughs) I'm totally fine with that. I think the upside is there, you know? Yeah. But there's other situations where I would m- rather keep things private. And I think it's going to be a, on a kind of one-on-one and one-off basis where you have to make these calls. Yeah. Wow. Uh, that's, I mean, that to me is like super fascinating and probably the thing that I think about more and more these days is, yeah. is all the big data and health. Um, and so we're, we just have a few minutes left. I have a couple other questions that are just yes or no. So Eero or Google Wi-Fi? Oh gosh, I haven't played with Google Wi-Fi yet, so I'd, I I have done the Arrow before, and I think it's great. So right now, I would, I would start there. Spotify or Apple Music? Uh, Spotify for sure. The interface on Apple Music is horrific. It's it's rough. I'm st- I feel like I'm stuck using it because the Apple Music has the cloud library, so I have all these weird seven inches and stuff that I've ripped that I I want to listen to. Occasionally. Yeah, that's nice. So it's okay. Amazon Echo or Google Home? Uh, Amazon. TV. have a richer developer community, and I think there's going to be cooler extensions for it. Good to know. TV streaming service. Uh, I just signed up for YouTube TV, and it is boss. Is it really? It's great. Okay. My, the issue is, so the unlimited DVR is incredible, but the fact that there's no Apple TV app, there's no Samsung app, there's, no, there's nothing really for it. So you more or less have to use Chromecast. And before we had started, I just mentioned how the Chromecast is kind of not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't know if you had a, yeah, I mean, here's what I think when it comes to that. I, for me, it's all a la carte. And so yeah. I come in and I grab HBO, okay. Netflix. Um, and honestly, I really like what Amazon has. They, they give away so much stuff. They just, when you have one of their devices, yeah, you just get access. If you're a prime member, you get access to like all kinds of little random documentaries and That's free. True. They, every once in a while they'll put like a blockbuster movie up there for free. And so those are some nice perks to have. Yeah. Um, I would say that uh, that's pretty much about it in terms of, you know, I also uh, sign up for my favorite NBA team via the NBA app and oh, I yeah. stream all that stuff. So, you know, I haven't done the, the TV channel stuff yet. Like, you know, finding like a sling or something like that where you get, you know, 20 or 30 channels. Yeah, I had DirecTV now, which was pretty dang good, mm-hmm. but it's kind of getting a little wonky yeah and i don't watch enough tv for me tv is about shows well that yeah that's that's my thing yeah i come in and i'm like okay westworld yes let's watch that or game of thrones or whatever it may be but um that that's how i consume it's not so much flipping channels anymore yeah i don't need all those channels well the big thing yeah is is you want to watch on-demand tv right so like that that's my 
thing too, which is why I kind of liked this this Google TV. Um, do you have Netflix? I do have Netflix, and I have. But the problem is, I have a 4K HDR TV, mm-hmm. and which is not really a problem. But there's no 4K HDR box that I like, so I have to use Samsung's crappy. Well, what about the interface. Amazon box that supports 4K? What do you? The it's Fire? Just, it doesn't. It feels weird. I don't like the interface. Oh, really? It's yeah, decent. I'm serious. It's not horrible. The voice recognition is actually pretty good. Yeah, so you can just like hold down a little button and tell it what you want to listen or watch. Yeah, I have I have the Fire TV box and I ended up disconnecting it. I was just hmm. annoyed. I want to use Apple TV because I have like 15 years worth of purchased films. Right, same here. So if they, whatever, this will take too long, and so I won't I won't get too much into it. It's so but, funny. The first world problems that we have. Yeah. It's like, which streaming service? <laughs> well, I mean, because I was like, yeah, I wonder what services you use. I was like, these are great questions to ask. That's funny because I use Hulu. Love Hulu. Yeah. I think, and Hulu is pretty cheap. I think it's 12 bucks for no commercials. Okay. I haven't used the Hulu yet. It's, it's the best because if you don't have um, a TV streaming service and like you're like everyone else who's kind of like hacking their friends' logins to watch whatever streaming app, you have FX and FX now. Like you can watch Legion on Hulu. Right. You know, I mean, so there's stuff like that that I was like, oh, that's weird. I was just going to buy the. Yeah. You get like South Park and a few yeah, other stuff. South yeah. Park, you know. So it's, uh, it's fascinating. So we're wrapping up. Is there any other stuff you want to add or mention before we finish? Uh, I think that's about it. Thanks for having me on the show. appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing sort of your philosophy and outlook and a bit about your background. This was a ton of fun. Um, I'll be sure to, to plug and mention the journal. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say the journal is probably the best way to keep in keep in touch with all the stuff that uh, I have going on, all the crazy experiments. Yeah, no, it's, so if you it's want, incredible. Like, fun productivity hacks and body hacks and stuff like that, that's the place to go. So, well, thank you again very much. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Cool. Thanks. Bye. You've been listening to Blamo. A big thanks to Kevin Rose for taking the time to come on. If you like what you heard, leave a review on iTunes. It helps let others know and discover the podcast. Subscribe and listen to new and archive episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Last but not least, you can find me elsewhere on the web on Instagram and Facebook at Blamo Podcast, or send me an email at jeremy at We'll see you next week.